Hi, welcome to Back Talk. I'm Amy Lam, the associate editor here at Bitch Media, and、uh, we just wrapped up the latest issue of the magazine, production-wise, which means that I'm on to the next <laughs> issue of the magazine, and、um, and actually, I was trying to find some like new writers to, you know, I don't know, bring in some. Fresh blood, and one of the resources I use is this website called writersofcolor.org, where writers of color can、um, enter their name and information, and editors like myself can go check it out.、Um, so it was—it's made by a, a handful of writers of color that got tired of hearing editors say. Um, I I can't find a writer of color like I I don't know any or whatever like now they can go to this database and find them and I actually reached out to some folks、um, to ask if they would like to write some stuff for me and、uh, one of those people listened to this podcast so shout out to Kate yay <laughs> and I am here with and Kate pitched a story、um, I'm going to work with Kate and we're、oh, going to figure、cool. some stuff out yeah that's great yeah、um, I'm Sarah Merck I'm the online editor at Bitch Media、uh, which means this week. I have been、um, putting Halloween jokes into all of our share text and weird places on our website, just to crack myself up. I don't know if anyone else has noticed that, like all of the、um, trending topics on our homepage right now, all the hot topics are vamp are like vampires and ghosts and witches. I'm like, is somebody gonna notice that I just am slipping ghosts into everything this week? I noticed because you told me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I think it's so funny. <laughs>、um, yeah.、Uh, so we kick off the show by talking about、um, like a favorite pop culture moment that we're having.、Um, I can start by saying that the NBA season is starting today. Woohoo! Yes,、uh, and I'm super excited、uh, for this new season to happen. Even though my beloved Portland Trailblazers like. Like practically everybody from the starting lineup got traded or left as free agents, and、um, oh, so heartbreaking. So I actually didn't keep up with any of the new who the new people are because I'm just like I'm just gonna watch who they like what this team is like when the season starts, just do my thing, and I'm just really excited to. Like watch a bunch of millionaires run around. See, this is what's always baffling to me about sports teams is how you can root for like a team rather than the like the individual people who make that team. I think I'm much more of like a personality focused person. Like I'm like I'm rooting for that one player and whatever team they're on. I don't care. I'm gonna root for them. Well, I'm like that too,、um, especially for players of other teams. Like I like specific players from other teams. I don't I don't like dislike teams in particular, but.、Um, But、the thing about having like a hometown team is that you just have to like root for them regardless of who's there, because that's just the nature of the NBA. Like people get traded or leave all the time. So even though there was like one player on our team, Lamarcus Aldridge, who was there since forever, since his first year, did he get traded away? He left. He was he became a free agent, and he left to go play with who can blame him? The San Antonio Spurs, who are like forever NBA champs,、um, and also he's a Texas native, so he probably got tired of our clouds. <laughs> I was like, I need good barbecue, and、um, decided to head home. So, but it's just, and then also, it's kind of a, a bummer when you see like your old teammates, like my, like they're my teammates, but being on other teams and like broing down with other guys. Yeah, that's like, such a betrayal. Yeah, that's such a betrayal. It is weird, but like I said, it's nature of the sport, and you just kind of go with it. Okay. Yeah.、Um, my favorite moment of the week is after you recommended it so heartily on the last <laughs> podcast. I started watching How to Get Away with Murder. You gotta say it correctly. How to Get Away with Murder. No, it's, no, it's How to Get Away with 
Murder. <laughs> I think I get it more dramatic each time I say it. Um, <laughs> that show. The first season is now on Netflix, so people like me who don't own TVs can uh, can watch it on our computers in beds alone at night. And uh, I've been watching so much How to Get Away with Murder. Like I think I've watched last week the first 10 episodes, and it's so good. Yes. And my favorite thing about the show right now, I mean, there's lots of great things about it. It's so delicious, but... My favorite thing about it is how Viola Davis's character, Professor Annalise Keating, cries all the time. It's so great because she's like this super tough, um, hardcore teacher who like pushes everybody hard and is, um, is kind of like intimidating to everybody. But in, in other moments, she like she cries and she gets really vulnerable and you can see how much that stress impacts her. And how she's not just like this emotionless robot who kind of bosses everybody around. She has real heart and feeling. And it's so rare, I think, to see like... Um, great female characters cry on TV. And as somebody who personally cries, like, a lot. <laughs> I'm in that club, too. Yeah, I, I you know, um, it's just it's just part of my range of emotion to burst into tears every once in a while. And it's not bad. It's fine. It's good. Uh, that's what my body does. And it's so cool to see a, a TV character who um, is really strong and really smart and also cries a lot. And it's also awesome because she's a black woman and to see like a black woman character have this range of emotions, like this is something that we don't often see on television. And then there's also that one episode, I don't know if you're there yet, um, where she she just like literally physically bears all. Like uh, Oh, where yeah. she like takes her makeup off? Yes, and, she, and she, yeah. she's not wearing her wig and she like wipes all of her makeup off, takes off her fake lashes. And it's like, it, it's so physically vulnerable because on television like we don't see like actresses do this yeah we don't see actresses take off their makeup no i mean oftentimes they're they're literally getting in bed or getting out of bed and they have a full face of makeup on (laughs) and she's doing this like really emotional scene where like you're not i feel like in that scene you're not just seeing annalise keating but you're seeing like viola davis doing like a master class of Mm -hmm. acting it's so great So the first topic we're talking about this week um, is a case that happened this week where um, a student, a black female student at Spring Valley High School in Columbia, South Carolina, um, was sitting in class and wound up getting really brutally uh, arrested by a sheriff's deputy. Um, She had she supposedly had her phone out during class and the teacher got mad about that and escalated and the teacher called an administrator and then called over um, the sheriff who was on campus um, and that sheriff uh, deputy, his name's Ben Fields, there's there's a video of him flipping her onto the floor. It's a really hard thing to watch. It's such a tough clip to watch, but he flips her onto the floor and then and then drags her across the floor and cuffs her hands behind her back. And this happened on, on Monday, and by Wednesday, um, it was announced that the sheriff's office was going to fire that deputy, and they've asked the FBI and the Justice Department to look in to, to do an investigation into what happened here. And so that's a, that's a really quick response on the part of the sheriff's department, which I think is really good. But it's also super important to recognize that this isn't just one isolated incident of one young black woman in a high school getting horribly arrested in this way. But this is part of a pattern. And there's a couple patterns going on here. Um, one is the sort of just policing in schools and the, the rise of police officers being stationed on campuses. And the other is the way that there's uh, a racial disparity in punishment in classes and who's likely to be suspended um, and who's likely to be called out as troublemakers in class. Yeah. Um, another thing is that uh, 
during the press conference that happened on Tuesday, um, the county sheriff, he, you know, he answered questions about, this is before they fu- they decided to fire the officer. You know, they he had to answer questions about the clip and what happened, what he saw. And, you know, and he made sure to say, like, this this clip is, is, is horrible. And, and I think he said he made his stomach ch- turn to, like, watch this. Um, but there were also interesting kind of um, fucked up things that he said during this press conference. He made sure to point out that, like, um, this incident wouldn't have happened had the student listened to her teacher. Oh, so yeah. that whole that whole like, oh well, she was misbehaving. So yeah, so uh, like this wouldn't have escalated if she hadn't started. So he means sure to say like this started with her. Yes, this ended with my officer, um, but this started with her, which is incomprehensible to me because um, nothing a child does in school, short of like literally physically attacking somebody else, warrants that kind of response by a teacher. So for him to say that was just incredible because, you know, he was trying to play this fine line of saying like my my officer behaved in a like a horrible way, but... But hey, guys, uh, this kid should have listened to our teacher, which is which makes no sense. And then somebody asked him a question about whether he thinks whether whether he thought that race played a motivation into what the officer did, and uh, like in this most peculiar fashion, the the sheriff responded by saying, "Well, I don't, I I don't, I don't have a comment on that or something." But he was like, "Well, I what I do know is that this officer has been dating an African American woman for some time now, as if." Um, his own personal dating life has anything to do with the brutality that he inflicted on this kid and and like and ignoring like that there you know this is a systemic thing that happens to black kids in school where they are like um, disproportionately suspended or um, get arrested on campus for like offenses like this and like if we're going to be real about like why this happened to this child it's because you know we operate within a white supremacist system where we don't treat black and brown children the same as we do other kids yeah there's this whole i mean there's just this plays into the whole ongoing debate over about how whether filming the police keeps us safe you know that in this case other students in classroom in the classroom as soon as the sheriff got involved started filming the incident and because of that we can see what happened and there was in this this deputy is going to be fired and hopefully there will be some justice for the student involved in this case. But the fact that this guy is is, is a bad apple, just because he's being called out and and, and facing some repercussions for this, um, that, that's not like enough. I hope that um, people are also getting the message that this is part of a pattern and part of the system where especially black students are singled out for punishment in unfair ways. And there was actually a really big report published on this uh, from the African-American Policy Forum back in February of this year. Um, So long before this incident occurred, it's called Black Girls Matter, pushed out, over-policed, and and under-protected, that found that black girls face really high rates of punishment in schools and can be forced out of the educational system for small behavioral issues. And that report lists out uh, several other tragic incidents that sound really similar to this one, where um, girls who made really small infractions in class, like falling asleep in class or writing high on a locker room uh, door wound up being suspended or expelled or uh, or threatened with arrest or actually arrested. And it's, it kind of ties into uh, how there are now a lot more police on on high school campuses in the United States and how that that's being seen as a solution for behavioral problems. Like if teachers can't handle something, you call the police. And 
I think that there, there's been a big increase in this over the last decade. That in 2009, there were 17,000 law enforcement officers stationed in our schools. And that ties into what people call the school-to-prison pipeline, where so a student like uh, gets in trouble in, in class for something small like this, and then they wind up getting the police called on them, and then they wind up getting arrested, and that puts them into the criminal system. That winds up often with, with them being more likely to go to prison later in life or go to jail for stuff like throwing spitballs. Yeah, it's it's just, uh, it just, I mean, this is just like a, another glaring example of how like structural racism is in every part of our culture and, and like in every part of our daily lives and how um, I think for, for folks who like don't have to touch this every day or to deal with this every day, like um, it's, it's hard to stomach and watch these like clips. So another thing I wanted to talk about was that um, oftentimes when, incidents like this happen that are caught on tape uh i think that you know we just get bombarded by them like Mm -hmm. on our timeline like on facebook or on twitter or whatever like one more terrible thing today right and uh and i think that we need to be more conscientious about what we share in terms of like the clip uh yeah because it can be very traumatizing for um people in that community to be like okay why why are you resharing this clip of this young black girl getting brutalized you know it's it can be very traumatic and i mean i think we can talk about like accountability and like white supremacy or or, you know like police brutality without actually showing the violence um and i think that sometimes for people who don't have to deal with the violence on a daily basis um like we like, like oh we feel like well we have to see it to believe it but does that mean that like you know, the people we're sharing it with have to see it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really big issue. And especially, I mean, you and I are editors, so we have to figure out, like, what do you actually include in an article when you're writing about this? When when we write an article about this, do we include a clip of this video or do we just describe what the video shows and how graphically do you describe it? What's the actual language that you choose? And those are those are big decisions. And with this one, in this case, I wrote an article about this for our website, um, talking about that study that I just mentioned and how it ties into this specific incident. And I really, con- I was like, no way am I including a clip of that video because it's so, it's so hard to watch. And just watching it, I just like, it was really upsetting to me. And I think that you can convey what happened by just describing it and that that's, that can be powerful enough to get people to recognize why this is a problem. Like, you don't, I don't think you have to see every single incident of violence yourself on film. Like, I'm glad that the film exists as, as a documentation. And I doubt that the sheriff's department would have done anything without having the film exist. But that doesn't mean we have to watch it on repeat. This isn't like a new thing. That's just that's the other really shitty part. It's just that like people are, are like taping it and uploading it on the Internet. Yeah. And I hope that it gets people to think about sort of the way that we look to that. We've started looking to police as the solution for classroom problems, which has been going on for years now and seems completely outsized and counterproductive in terms of creating a good educational system. That report that I mentioned from the African-American Policy Forum pointed out a couple ideas for how to actually improve the educational system for black girls, none of which involve calling the police on them for things like not putting their phones away or falling asleep in class. And the big ones were just to um, sort of review and really seriously look at policies that wind up funneling girls into the juvenile justice system and to develop ways to deal with the stress and, and pressure and trauma and harassment that girls face in their lives. Because a lot of times incidents like these escalate quickly um, in some part because the girls are, are reacting to something that's, that's bad. Yeah, you know? I, I actually, before we came into the studio, I read a story by um, an activist writer. His name is Sean King, and he interviewed the student's lawyer. 
and he said that um, she just recently, the student just recently lost her mom. Oh, wow. And had to go into foster care. Right. So it's it's like we have to understand, you know, that's another thing about like people. Um, I should stop reading the comments, but people making comments saying like, well, this student would just listen to her teacher, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, you don't understand where this kid is coming from. Yeah, how much stress yeah, she's under. Yeah. She's going through a lot, a lot of shit right now. And like, maybe she's not being responsive to authority, but to, to physically like brutalize her like this, like, isn't the solution. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then when you learn this piece about her, her family life, it's just, it just makes your heart break even more about like, like what she's going through now. Like, so she had to go through the trauma of losing her mother. And then now she's going to have to go through the, like the recovering trauma of having to have this incident afflicted upon her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think a way forward would be to make our educational system deal better with those kinds of trauma and pressures and, and be better for students there rather than just being like, Oh, you acted out in class. We're calling the police on you. Forget about the root problems that are like causing you to not be comfortable sitting in class listening to your teacher. We're gonna talk about Halloween costumes. Yeah, this week is Halloween. Halloween costumes. What not to wear and what to. Wear. I feel like oh, this is like a fashion segment. I'm oh, totally yeah. into this. What's what's your Halloween costume gonna be, Amy? I haven't decided yet. I'm a I'm very much a last minute. We have three days. Ha- yeah, I okay. know. I didn't make my Halloween costume last year until like the day before. And last year, I came up with an amazing idea. I think. What was your idea last year? Um, it was a uh, what's that word when you combine like two words together? A portman. Oh, a port. A, a Natalie portmanteau. Okay, portmanteau. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was a portmanteau of. Um, do you remember the school book Madeline? Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. So I was Bat Madeline. Batman alive. Yeah, so I had a Batman mask. <laughs> like one of those creepy ones where you like put, you literally smear like black eyeliner all over yeah. your eye and then you like put the mask on. But I also had like, and then I put, um, I cut up the mask so that the, the Batman ears, I like put them on top of this really cute um, straw hat that Madeline wears and put a red ribbon around it. And I had like the exact Madeline coat that I bought like at a secondhand store. That's and so great. I was Batman alive. <laughs> I love it. I love punny costumes. And I have vowed to myself to try to get away from punny costumes because we will never get them. And then I have to spend all night explaining this <laughs> dumb pun that I've been trying to make. So what are you dressing up this? So this year, year I'm just going to be Dana Scully from the X-Files. Oh, nice. I'm actually tabling at a comics convention in Seattle on Halloween. It's called Short Run. It's like a women-run comics and small press festival. So it's going to be great because it's like nerd central comics fest and i'll be dressed as scully it'll be pretty good oh you're gonna make an amazing scully oh thank you so much yeah (laughs) i have i I just need like a black blazer and some sweet heels and a little fbi badge oh and then you also have to kind of like like when you when your dress shirt underneath the blazer you have to pop the collar i have to pop the collar and i just have to skeptically sigh during the whole day like (sighs) i see you doing that a lot anyway so you're in character (laughs) Um, but I guess the reason why we have to talk about Halloween costumes is because, uh, without fail, every single fucking year, <laughs> there's a trope of people who decide that um, it's totally okay to wear racist costumes. What What do you think the top horrible costumes of this year are going to be? Uh, I don't even want to like vocalize this. Yep. Uh, I already saw s- there. There have already been blackface costumes on the internet. Oh really? Yes. Um, uh, there was a school teacher who did who's dressed up as Kanye West. Uh, Trouble. Complete blackface. There was another woman, white woman, who dressed up as Nicki Minaj. Mm-hmm. It was horrifying. Um, I mean, like in every horrifying way you can possibly imagine that to be. Um, and then, like last year, there was just some like 
like mind-boggling like 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 who who are your friends that like you thought it was that you like like there there were people dressed up as ray rice oh the nfl player who um who's a domestic violence abuser uh you know like like just in the most uh, like obscene way i could i just i couldn't imagine it and like i don't know what's gonna happen this year but i'm imagining that there's gonna be some caitlin jenner's out yeah, there yeah my, my vote for top offensive costume of the year is gonna be some men dressed as caitlin jenner because those costumes are actually for sale yes, online yes. <laughs> there, there's actually been a couple of petitions asking places to remove their uh caitlin jenner costumes for men uh but they're still out there you can get them yeah um so i think we're gonna see some some dudes dressed as Caitlyn Jenner. My face is so cringy right now, and I think this is gonna be. I mean, I guess that's one of like the okay things about like me going Halloween parties around like my my friends, as I I'm pretty sure I won't encounter like a racist or quote problematic costume, but that is something that like you risk seeing when you risk it, yeah, yeah, out in the wild. And I forgot who tweeted this, but somebody tweeted that like I didn't know that racist costumes existed until the internet, because, oh, yeah. <laughs> because then like they upload people upload their pictures and then it gets shared that like you know these people are dressing up as like really offensive stereotypes or dressing up as cultures and like and not realizing that. Well, yeah, and I also think that there's been a lot of. Uh uh, awareness building online about how some costumes that are super mainstream marketed costumes you can find in any store are, are culturally appropriate or racist in some way. So, for example, like the 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 Arab belly dancer costume, you know, which you can probably buy in any costume store in America is, you know, say, saying, OK, this is what an Arab person looks like. She looks like the I dream of genie genie, you know, and there's actually even Walmart right now is selling um an, a really offensive Arab face costume that's like a, a giant nose you can wear oh to dress up God. as an Arab guy. And there's all this, a bunch of Arab American groups are, are saying, hey, Walmart, can you pull this costume? But those are the kind of things that like, I think before the internet, maybe there would have been less pushback against those because um, somebody would have seen it and gotten pissed off about it and written a letter to the company. But whoever knows what happened to it. Now you can take a photo and post it online and and the company will actually hear about it. And I also think that there's, like you said, like more education about what it means to wear a culture as a costume. I mean, I because the internet's been around for a while, but I feel like this, um, it's 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 a recent thing that we're like calling out these costumes, um, you know, like like dressing up as like a native person or like uh, being coming like a geisha or um, or doing anything where you're just kind of like taking somebody else's like traditional wear and wearing it as as if it's just a fun thing that you put on for a night when it's somebody else's like identity that they have to live with for, for the rest like their entire lives um but i just think that like it, it does begin with like letting people know that this is like not just appropriative but it's offensive mm-hmm. um and i think that sometimes people just need to be told that yeah can we talk about sexy costumes for one second? Because <laughs> I think when like when people are like, oh, feminists talking about Halloween costumes, they're going to be anti-sexy costumes. I just want to say that I am not anti-sexy costumes. I'm pretty much pro-sexy costumes. I think Halloween can be a safe time to like express your sexuality and you get a lot of judgment the rest of the year for uh, dressing sexy and not wearing much clothing if you don't want to. But on Halloween, it's kind of a safer time to do that. And so if you want to dress up um, as some sort of sexy dinosaur, 
I am all for that because it's like the, maybe the one time of the year when you can do that and be like, yeah, I love my body. I'm a really sexy triceratops. Well, I bet if you dressed up as like a, a sexy T-Rex on any other day, like you might get some strange looks. I'm just saying, okay, uh, I'm just speaking up sort of in defense of cosplay, I guess, and in defense of people who want to express their sexuality um, in a creative and fun way. I don't think we should be like, oh my God, they're they're being so slutty in their slutty costumes because they can be fun. I think it's fun to express your sexuality. I think it's fun to dress sexy every once in a while and it's not hurting anybody. I, you, I would actually like to see more sexy random things. I would love to see sexy random things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think, I mean, I, I go to like comics conventions and there's always women dressed up who are, who like made their own costumes and they look awesome. And they're, they can be really sexy. And that can be a really empowering thing, I think, where people say, yeah, I want to feel good about my body. I want to look this way. I'm going to dress this way. And I feel great about it. So I think there's a lot of like slut shaming that goes on around Halloween um, that I don't agree with. And if you want to be a sexy bumblebee for Halloween, <laughs> I say feel free to be a sexy bumblebee for Halloween. Sexy costumes for, for kids are a different matter. I think oh. sexy costumes marketed toward like little girls or <sighs> little boys being like hey put on these fake muscles and be this like giant butch firefighter or toward little girls being like hey be a sexy princess i think that's kind of different because there's different politics in play but if somebody's an adult and they want to be sexy on halloween go for it the weirdest thing is that my first thought was i want to be a sexy refrigerator <laughs> I don't know why I don't know why sexy dinosaur was the first thing that came to my mind. That's, I don't know. This probably says a lot about who we are. If somebody <laughs> wants to tell us what all of this means. <laughs> all right, so now we're at the end of our show where we talk about um, one thing we've watched, one thing we are reading, and one thing we're listening to. And um, I can kick it off by talking about what I'm reading right now. Um, I just picked up a feminist classic um, at the used bookstore. It's uh, Bell Hooks, Feminism is for Everybody. It's a classic. It's super classic. Um, not seminal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to some, but not to Sarah. <laughs> uh, it's a classic. And, and I realized that like I had read excerpts of this when I was um, studying feminist theory in school, but I hadn't read the entire book of it. And it's like a tiny volume, but it's packed full of great information. And um and it's just one of those things where like it's good just to freshen up your theory. And another thing for me is that like like I academic theory ish writing stuff, like I just can't handle it a lot of the times. It's like too um I'm totally the same way. Yeah, it's just too too many too too many multisyllabic like vocab words that I'm just not comprehending. So in this volume, every, feminism is for everybody, Bell Hooks is able to like break down maybe headier topics um, that applies to like so many um, facets of feminism, like feminism, uh, feminist parenting or like um, like feminism and sex or reproductive rights. So she like goes through so many different things in, in like really small bite sized chapters that you can just digest and just like ruminate on and and love it. So feminism is for everybody and also a good primer for if you're like a new feminist or, you know, you're raising a little feminist. <laughs> that's definitely that's like the number one book I recommend to people when they're like, what should I read? I'm I don't know anything about feminism. And I'm like, you should read this book. Yeah, feminist it's, it's very, books. very accessible. 
Um, and then uh, I want to talk about something I watched. So Sarah and I were like, what are we going to talk about? Because <laughs> Sarah's been watching How to Get I've Away with Only been watching How to Get Away with Murder. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, constantly. It's, yeah. like, it's like a part time job now, it's just watching How to Get Away with Murder. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, I guess I can talk more about um, Project Greenlight, which I talked a little bit about, uh, I guess, a couple episodes ago. Um, it's the HBO show um, that follows like a film being made, and Effie Brown is in it. And um, She's the one where uh, Matt Damon had uh, mansplained Right. We diversity. talked about this show a few episodes ago because yes. we're talking about Matt, Matt Damon mansplaining diversity to Effie Brown, who's the producer of the film that they're making on this reality show. Yes. Right. Yeah. So um, so I remember when we first talked about it, I was like, I was like, oh, this happened. And I wasn't actually that into the show. And then I was I had nothing really to watch. And then I was like, I'll just check it out. And then I got like sucked in because it's really interesting to watch. There's half of me that's like hate watching it um, because it's like it's it's like I, I wrote a piece on it. Actually, that's on bitchmedia.org. Um, there's a piece of it that's like you feel like you're watching like a master class in like white male cis privilege. It's like, wow, this is how it happens behind the scenes. Like white men like being for white men like like I knew this existed and like I see it in so many other ways but like here it is happening in front of me and it's you know in Hollywood like just how I thought it would <laughs> uh, like not in shady back rooms but in like brightly lit beautiful offices and then there's the other half where I'm watching it because I'm there for Effie Brown um, to see this black woman in an industry where people of color period are like or like not very present in front of the camera, but to also see her behind the scenes and um, and to see her running the, the film in a way because she's in charge of like, as a producer, she's in charge of um, making sure they're on budget and on schedule and on time. And uh, she unequivocally stated that like the reason she agreed to do the show, even though she knew it was going to be a really white dude show, was because she wanted to hire a really um, diverse and inclusive crew for the film so that you can see on the show that look at this crew made up of like all these people of color, all these women um, that you would normally not see as a crew for a film. And it was and it was actually really jarring to see because the film that they're filming is a super white film. So when you see like the all white cast against like the the film that's like super diverse it's 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 like oh i see what's going on like you can see that behind the scenes the film crew is team effie <laughs> and then in front of in front of the camera it's like um team matt damon <laughs> not even team matt damon but like team historically hollywood you know uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like institutionalize uh -huh. every fucking wrong thing in hollywood ever um and it's and it's it's one of those shows that like i think that if you don't have like the constitution to like because I actually love shit that makes me have high blood pressure. <laughs> so I watch it and get rageful. But if you're not into it, don't watch it because it's just going to make you angry. Because it's really like awkward and tense. Yes. But there, I mean, like I write about this in my piece for um, the website. But like there's just so, there's just coded language used at, at Effie and um, just like really subtle like microaggressions that she has to deal with. And like as a marginalized person watching this, you're just thinking like, I know this, I've done that. And now I'm watching a woman navigate through that. That's really interesting. Yeah. So it's an interesting show. And then um, the last episode of the season is this airing on Sunday. And then the film that was made on the show airs on Monday. And it looks like hot 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 garbage <laughs> and i might hate watch that film. <laughs> super hot garbage well that's great um well let's end the show with some soothing sounds from <laughs> now that you're all rageful and angry <laughs> some am. music to chill you out 
Uh, this is Portland band Pure Bathing Culture. Um, I interviewed the front woman, whose name is Sarah, on our website this week. Uh, their new album just came out. It's called Pray for Rain. It came out on Monday. And Sarah talked a lot to me about sort of coming into her own as a front woman of this band. She's somebody who has made music for years, but that actually took a bit of a leap to say, I'm going to front my own band. I'm going to write my own songs and make my music. And I'm going to be the person that you see when you look at this band. And um, I love this band. I listen to the music a lot when I'm falling asleep. Um, or chilling out. So let's listen to Pray for Rain off the album Pray for Rain from Portland band Pure Bathing Culture. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Back Talk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener supported feminist nonprofit. If you want to support the show and our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate. <laughs>